Welcome to episode four of the Getting to Grips with podcast, where today I'm joined by Jake, who is the man behind Crusader Strength. Crusader Strength provides athletes with functional bodybuilding programs that help individuals build resilience inside the gym, which in turn can spill over into all areas of life. We discuss all things fitness, health and well-being and dig deep into Jake's background as a national level cyclist and his transition into strength training, which has now evolved into the ever-growing world of functional bodybuilding that he now champions. We also spent some time discussing some challenging health issues Jake has faced that resulted in him going into a full cardiac arrest and how it has shaped his mindset since the incident. So let's get into it. And we are rolling. All right. Uh, so for those future listeners, um, we probably can't see right now. We've been blessed by Mother Nature with a glorious sunny day in Bristol. Uh, so we decided to do it outside uh, outside the box across the Avon. Um, so yeah, Jake's come all the way down from Birmingham. So thanks for coming down, man. Um, as I usually start uh, the podcast, I usually um, ask and get to grips with the guest journey um, in fitness, where it all started, what you're kind of doing now, and then we can dig dip, dig a bit deeper into uh, more of the meat on the bone, what you're up to, where you're going, and everything in between. Awesome. So from the reading I've done on you, man, like you've always been into sports, I believe in national level cyclists, um, now into more functional training and the broad spectrum of that. So kind of take me through um, where it started, what got you into sport and fitness. Um, yeah, we'll hit it from there. Awesome. Well, I think I was always destined to be in sport. Like, I was always one of those kids at school, but from a very young age, they just couldn't sit still. You know, I didn't play on the Xbox, I didn't play on the PlayStation, I was always doing something. Um, and nine years old, I joined the local cycling club just out of probably boredom. Um, because every, kid's got, every kid had a bike, so I went down to the local club. Um, went and watched it first and it looked, looked like good fun so I went down the following week I joined and then yeah, I ended up cycling for 10 years so that was pretty cool so was that track cycling or was it so road I, cycling I did a bit of everything because it was a track club and I kind of started off the track uh, as I got older I went up more on the roads did some of that but then my true passion cycling was anything off road anything muddy anything filthy and all that. downhill so I did, did a bit of downhill yeah. but I didn't compete in downhill a bit cross country uh, for a few years, but cool. my main one was, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, it's a cyclocross. I have heard of it, I don't know too much about that so, world, but I have heard of it. It's like a winter discipline, we call it the steeplechase of cycling. Okay. So imagine like a modified road bike that allows for like extra mud to get clogged up and stuff like that, so it's a bit of a different geometry, but uh, essentially like a modified road bike with knobbly tyres, um, done through the winter, and you do all sorts of stuff through like sand pits, we've got stairs, there's hurdles, all sorts of stuff on the course as well. That's kind of where my passion in cycling play and uh, I was very fortunate when I was about 16 to actually go and race in Belgium doing cyclocross. Wow. Now cyclocross in Belgium is like football in England. It's really? Massive. They're like celebrities, it's, it's unheard of. You can turn a sleepy little village in Belgium, they can have a race there and you can have 60-70 thousand people turn up to this tiny little village just to watch these guys race. It's insane. And from all over Europe as well, not even just I didn't know it's a big thing. Massive, yeah. These guys are like celebrity superstars over there. I'm not even joking. <laughs> wow, is it just seems to be Belgium or is it kind of a European thing? It's a bit it's more of a European. massive thing in the UK, is it? It's a bit no, it's not a massive Am thing I in the UK. Say no? no, no, you're absolutely right <laughs> in saying that. It's um it's it's a predominantly Belgian thing, but 
more so uh, mainland Europe than, than many other parts. It's massive. But it sort of stems from Belgium. So, do you still do any? So now you're not competing anymore. Do you still do any cycling? You're still into it? Like, uh, what's what's I still, your? I still, uh, I still have an interest in. It. I still keep up with all the races. I still see how all my friends from back in the day are doing. Uh, I don't race anymore, obviously. Um, I don't ride as much as I'd like to. Just time commitments and stuff like that at the moment. But uh, I still get out on the bike every now and then. I still enjoy it. Yeah, I stopped that when I was 19. That's five years ago now. So that's when I stopped racing. So grew up in the in the West Mids. So Birmingham. Yeah, just south of right? Birmingham. Just, yeah. South, yeah. just south of Birmingham. Uh, and I was kind of where I was based on all that. I think uh, again, sort of where I lived played a part in where I went on my sports. I lived at the foot of the uh, Clent Hills. If anyone's heard of it. Um, big rural area. Um, so you can go to the Pen Hills, you look to your right, you can see Birmingham, and it's all uh, city and town, and it's really like heavily um, saturated people. And then you look to your left, and it's just countryside. So I was kind of very fortunate to live in between the two of those. Um, you know, five minutes that way, I'd have been in, in complete rural countryside, five minutes that way, I'd have been in the city. Um, not bad, not bad. So I think, I think sort of growing up in that sort of like area where I was definitely played a part in the things like cross country mountain biking because I was just in a perfect you're in, environment. You're, 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 yeah. you're in amongst there. Yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, what kind of led? So, did you go to university or anything like college? What was your kind of profession? Did it mix in with the, the sort of passion for fitness? Yes, yeah, so my, my progressions kind of like had like a bit of a knock on effect to one another. So, you know, when I was a cyclist, I took it massively seriously, it was everything. It was back when I was at school, didn't have any commitments or anything like that. Um, but yeah, I raced at a very high level. Um, and then when that kind of came to an end, kind of stemmed into the start of my university and then academic sort of career as well. Because I had to stop cycling through injury. Um, I don't know if, if anyone's ever seen old photos of me, you'll just shit, shit back for ages, it's ridiculous. I, I was six foot tall, the height I am now, but 55 kilos. That's super light. Super skinny. For, for a six foot guy, yeah. Yeah, super, super skinny. Um, and because of just spending eight hours a day in the saddle, having no structure to me other than bone, uh, I ended up with like a pressure fracture in my spine. So that sort of put a halt to any sort of like competitive uh, cycling going forward. And then the quick fix for that was uh, we need to, to build a bit of size and build a bit of strength. Now, unlike most people, I mean, talking generic here but a lot of people they'll start their fitness journey in kind of like a normal gym doing normal standard gym routines then they transition off into whatever niches they want to go to my first ever introduction to anything strength training was crossfit um, so what era are we talking here year wise the early years or this is probably like 2012-13 so still fairly early because it kind of yeah, boomed obviously no it's boomed quite a bit in the last five years or so of course it's, yeah absolutely this is kind of like 2012 era yeah, I quickly, my injuries subsided within months of actually putting in some size and putting on some muscle and getting a bit stronger. Um, but no, I didn't, because of the timing of everything, starting universities, I didn't have the desire to then get back into competing. Just because I knew, you know, from an external point of view, I knew the commitments going into it were just crazy, crazy at that time. So I went to university to be a PE teacher. Okay. Yeah, so cool. did physical education and sports coaching at Worcester University. Okay. Um, and then through my university, like, uh, time, through my time at university, is that's when I started getting more into uh, the functional training side of things and strength training and CrossFit and things like that. Um, and then doing that with a coaching degree and then just kind of blossomed into, into, a, bit, into a strength coach from there. So it's kind of like a, a pretty decent progression through the system, I'd say. In that so the, the PE teacher thing never happened, so you ended up becoming owner-director of Crusader Strength? Correct, yeah. So that was that the first sort of 
first job really in terms of profession or no. did you do a bit of PT? No, I went through, um, so my first sort of like coaching role was, you know, I got my level one and I had PT and stuff like that. Um, I went and worked in a CrossFit gym near, near to where I lived. Yeah. Um, worked there for about a year and a half. The place unfortunately closed down and then I moved on to another gym. Um, and then just sort of moved through the rankings there. I started off as a coach there and ended up being the manager there for a couple of years. Um, and then I've always been the type of person as well that's myself in any aspect I do, whether it's you know physical capacity, mental capacity, or business capacity, whatever it is, I'm always trying to like better myself. Mm -hmm. So when I was um, kind of going through my coaching career, I got to a point where I felt that there was like a very low ceiling above my head, and I wanted to uh, I wanted to expand on that. So that's kind of when I looked to go in my own direction and started Crusade Strength. That's how that kind of formed. Awesome. Yeah. So it's going strong now. Yeah, it's yeah. going strong now. But I went through a bit of a, like a rebirth, I call it a bit of a remodel. Is I just started, I just had like an epiphany um, this time last year, and I just I need to take it to the next level. So I started just rewriting plans and things like that. And um, yeah, I started outsourcing things that I wasn't particularly good at to people where it's their job. You know, there's things that I don't need to do that uh, I can pay someone who it's their profession to do, and they can do a hell of a standard on it. And that's a, bit, a big thing for me because. I want to offer the absolute best to whoever I work with. If I can't provide that, well, I, want someone, I want someone in my team who can provide that. Yeah, you don't want to stretch yourself too thin, do you? Exactly. I, you, you run the risk sometimes when you're really passionate about these, um, you know, these businesses or projects. And I, I've been guilty a bit of it with Project Get a Grip. Of you sort of run yourself a bit thin and try and be a bit of jack of all trades. And actually, over time, you find your path. Um, but I think I know why that is as well. Why a lot of people fall into that trap. Why do you think that is? I think you go through the school the schooling system, and you know if we were to do a maths exam, okay, uh, and I went in there, and there was a few questions that I didn't know, but a few friends of mine did know the answer. If I were to ask them for the answer, that, that's considered cheating, bad, right? True. You take that into a business aspect. Okay, well, you know I'm not, a, you know I'm a good strength coach, but my nutrition side of things isn't great. My friends are nutrition coach. Oh, I can't ask them. That's cheating. It's an interesting it's, way of looking at it. It's the kind of program to. To do it yourself, kind of thing, but you know, when you realize you can actually branch out and outsource, but you see, you're good at we're all so. we all have strengths and weaknesses in our own rights, don't we? And yeah. I think if we can all work a bit more collaboratively, yeah. and we, we've touched on this before, um, before we set up about you know the future of businesses and where it's going, is I think it should be a lot more collaboratively put together and created. And I'd hope the school system may reflect that and celebrate not just sort of academics and specialists but actually integration. Absolutely, integration is massive, absolutely yeah. huge. And I think the way we're moving forward, uh, it just I mean, just in the, in the day that we live in, I, I think uh, some systems need to change to, uh, to sort of, yeah, go against the system. Mm. You know, we're all programmed to be in the system. I think there's a lot of pressure on kids at the moment, like exams and I heard, I mean, you know, you could quote, it's unreliable, but Daily Mail saying that as PE is technically not a curriculum subject, they're taking PE time off of kids to give them more exam time. Yeah. And I think those hours of play yeah. are really important yeah. for not only development, but also stress levels. We're seeing increasing amounts of anxiety and stress related issues with kids at school these days. And school's tough, man. And like, it was tough when I was in school, and I think we're similar age, probably. And um, I think even more so now, man, like, there's a lot of pressure on kids. Absolutely. I mean, again, this is anecdotal as well, but 
had a kind of mind ring up. He's like, oh, Jake, I can't come to my session today. Um, and I, I, don't, I don't normally delve into like that. He has to explain to why he could make it. Um, he had a daughter in primary school who was stressing out over her exams, mm. and he wanted to be there to help her. She's in primary school. Yeah. And she was like reduced to tears from the stress of the exams in primary school. Insane, isn't it? It's, it's kind of you want to kind of get this balance where you want to challenge children and you want them to learn and grow and give them opportunities in their later life and you know that they are key development learning years but maybe there's a shift maybe there's a way of doing things differently yeah I don't know I don't think there's ever going to be like a correct system cause yeah because it's, it's so individualized but like uh, my, one of my favorite Albert Einstein quotes you know, if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree it's going to forever believe it's stupid and I've seen that yeah, I've seen that other, on a quote. Yeah, Recently, it's, actually, it's a cartoon of like an elephant and fish. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's kind of true, isn't it? Like, you get someone who's not particularly academic, a couple of the skills and other traits that they're not necessarily exposed to in, in the system. So, but uh, yeah, I don't think there'll ever be a perfect system. I think it's always going to be constantly evolving, constantly changing. Um, yeah. The times we live in, I mean, it won't be long now before. But in fact, there might be one now this time. I bet, I bet there's a, a, a degree of how to be good at YouTube and things like that. Yeah, vlogging. Yeah, like vlogging. kids just want to be vloggers now. Yeah, like, exactly. Like people don't want to be football or like no. doctors. They just want. They want to be influencers and vloggers. Yeah, and no one wants to work in a factory. What do you do that for? But you can, you know, video your life and make money from it. <laughs> yeah, it's big. It seems to be a big business. The YouTube thing. There's a lot of people getting on the vlogging and yeah, it's it's interesting times. Like it seems to be in a big shift. I think the next wave will kind of be um, AI, artificial intelligence, like. VR stuff, I think that yeah. that's all turning, that's all coming very... Cryptocurrency, we're all going to oh, be... Oh, man. No one's going to have wallets anymore. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like... They're, it's big, they're, big, like, it's a, they're big, like, life questions, aren't yeah. they? Um, but I think part of that, and kind of coming back into the fitness realm of things, is, like, just reconnecting with yourself. I think it's so easy, so many distractions and flow of information so high in the world we live in. I think training and sport in general, not just CrossFit, or training, but like sport is just a great way for humans to reconnect and actually um, sort of reconnect with what I believe we are as human beings. I think we should be outside, I think we should be collaborative, we should be living in communities that are, are positive and we're challenging ourselves. I think sometimes the smartphone thing, it's good to just put it down. I went on holiday recently and had a bit of a detox and like, I felt really good. Felt amazing, mate. Yeah, felt amazing. But then you come straight back into it and like, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's a tough one, man. It's, it's one of those things that you sort of like need to half embrace, but half sort of keep at arm's length because, you, you know, we're all, you know, like my business is done doing my phone a lot of the time. Yeah, that's you know, it. That's, yeah. that's where my app is, that's where my website is. So it's half and half. Like, I need to be there to be able to do those sort of things, but every now and then it's nice to put it down and read a book or go outside and go for a walk without the worry of my phone being in my pocket. Yeah. You need to be connected, but then you still need to reconnect with yourself at times and Absolutely. give yourself a bit of... 100%. So are you, so we kind of mentioned CrossFit, like are you, well we've mentioned CrossFit and functional training, how do you see those differ, because you see it mentioned a lot more in the CrossFit community about the functional bodybuilding, got the likes of people like Marcus Philly, really champions it, yeah. um, seems to be a lot more buzz around the CrossFit community, like I said, talking about it and doing it, what are kind of the similarities and differences in the training methodologies, like in your in your perspective? Between like functional bodybuilding. Yeah, and functional bodybuilding and CrossFit. Um, so I think functional bodybuilding over the past few years has just become like a massive buzzword. Right? Before that, a massive buzzword was CrossFit, right? and it's that kind of coined term that everyone sort of like relates to. But CrossFit, and then you've got functional bodybuilding. In one way or another, it's reinventing the wheel, but it definitely has its place in training. It can, uh, I think the, the difference is 
uh, CrossFit, you know, when for, when CrossFit sort of first burst onto the scene and everyone was a bit dubious of it, you know, everything was for time, everything was, you know, you know in a, it was for as fast as possible, as heavy as possible, as intense as possible, okay. Now, once bodybuilding's coming, it's sort of like reversing that. It's like, okay, well now we're slowing everything down, we're changing the movement pattern, okay, we're controlling it more. Um, so that's kind of like where the differences are. I think the similarities are that we're trying to become better human beings, right? We're trying to move better, we're trying to work better, we're trying to prevent injury, we're trying to, you, you know, if I want to go for a run, I should be able to do that without you know, the back hurting, anything like that. So I think that's where the similarities are. But, I mean, there's, there's only so far you can take it, right? You can, with functional bodybuilding, my view is that a lot of coaches who are sort of jumping on the train of that, right? I'm guilty of that as well, I'm there as well. They think there's this grand need to massively complex simple movement patterns. So you don't necessarily need to go massively complex into it. Like I'm a big fan of Mark Tullinoy's work and I'm a big fan of functional bodybuilding. Sometimes I see some of like some people are getting creative with it and then I'm just thinking Yeah, I see a lot of that stuff. People going doing crazy stuff with kettlebells and like balancing acts and Yeah, and it's just like it comes yeah. back to the whole like with the beginning of CrossFit when people were doing pistol squats on mostly balls and it's just a bit like that's kind of where I see it's it, so and I think um, it's gonna. Yeah. It's there's 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 good or bad with it, definitely. Um, where I stand with it is I'm at the moment trying to synergize absolute strength and functional bodybuilding together. So that's kind of like where I'm rolling with things. I've got um, a new program coming out in August. It's called the Radical Strength Alliance. Um, I was going to ask you about that. that was, uh, that was I done my research. <laughs> I was going to ask you about that. So you beat yeah, me to it. Yeah, that's fine. So. Um, <laughs> What's that about then? <clears throat> it's it's exactly that. It's it's, it's, a, it's um, trying to bring together the best aspects of gaining absolute strength and the best aspects of functional bodybuilding. What I'm trying to do with that is I'm trying to basically make complex simple. I want it to be uh, an easy to run format that's going to get people like really decent results without massively overcomplicating it and making it too um, too too specific that people are just a bit like so. <laughs> so I going back to what we were talking about earlier. Because I thought, well, I could write it myself and I could do it all myself, but why not reach out to other people that are in the same position, that are in the industry the same as me? So um, there's two authors of the program as of now. I've got myself and Dr. Joel Seidman. Um, he's a PhD in kinesiology over in Atlanta, Georgia. Wow. Um, and he's sort of like an unsung hero of functional bodybuilding. He's one of the pioneers of it. Um, and if you ever come across his Instagram, you'll see some crazy shit. But it's um, he's massively, massively knowledgeable in that area. So between the two of us, we've kind of um, fortified this program together that we're going to deliver together um, that starts in August. And it's going to be very similar in terms of um, layout, in terms of the way it's rolled out to the public, to Marcus Philly's Awaken Training Series. It's a 12-week program where there's a registration period. You'll start on the same day, you're part of the same group, and you finish on the same day. Awesome. Yeah, so I'm, I'm really excited. Are you excited that. for that? I'm, so excited for that! It's, I mean, the program's like the program's really there now, and I've been trialing it. I've had, I've had some of my friends trialing it. I've That's had people. Cool. It's uh, and it's it's pretty cool. It's very exciting. How did you come about that connection with the guy over in the states? Sounds like. Uh, um, as Daphne sounds, I reached out. I just reached, you reached out. out. Yeah, I mean, I've been a fan of That's his. Cool. I've been a fan, a fan of his for a while, and dropped him a dropped him a message. And before we know, it, we're having uh, a conference call, and then before we know, it, we're at the programming. Hey, That's cool. Yeah, so the, the beauty of the internet, you know, the social media and internet is yeah. uh, the best and worst thing that's happened to us, I think. It is, yeah, exactly. So, it's exactly that, you know, I'm, I'm able to do business. Yeah, that's awesome. who's five hours behind and it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's working really well. So how, 
So you're very busy by the sounds of it. How does this come into your training? So did you, so kind of picking back up on your fitness journey, I think, what I'm trying to do here, so I can finish. Did you go like guns blazing to CrossFit? Like what was your CrossFit competing history? Have you kind of steered away into the functional stuff and taken a breather from competing? Like what's your what's your regime? So my like so my journey through fitness itself um, was when I stopped cycling. Is I actually thought, well, you know, I've competed ever since I was nine years old. I did ten years. So I got to nineteen, and I was like, this massive hole is in my life. I need to do something. I need to fill it with something because it was it was everything I did. Before. So I took up running. Um, I didn't find any pain with running, so I took up that and kind of gravitated towards obstacle races, like tough, like, tough, ah, tough cool. warrior. So, so you're doing kind of middle long distance stuff where you to begin yeah, with. Yeah, so I competed in those. Cool. Um, fun. Yeah, it was yeah. fun. It was really good fun, actually, because I took it, you know, I did a few with some friends as fun, like a lot of people do, but then I took it to the extreme. You can I just compete in it, can't you? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So they have leagues, don't they? Yeah, Spartan Race. Spartan Race, I've just, got, you know, just started televising some of their stadium events and things wow. like that. You can actually compete in it. You know, even World's Toughest Mudder, which is a 24-hour, yeah. the same thing. The rat race is like 72 hours, and it's just cool. mental. But I started doing that, and then, uh, so I was training, predominantly running for that, and I was doing okay, middle of the pack kind of thing, which is very, very mediocre, very average with it. I then picked up CrossFit, and without blowing trumpets here, I, was, I did CrossFit for just a year, went back to the same event I did last year, where I was finished middle of the pack, and I broke the course record, without, wow, any, specific, without any specific running training. No particular endurance training, because these are no. predominantly, am I right in saying, the obstacle course is predominantly an endurance focused race, rather than strength, like aerobic, yeah, would you say? Like what's it's, 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 it's half yeah. yeah, so a lot of the ones I was racing were probably between 10 and 14 miles, so relatively like middle distance, middle to long distance. Um, but a lot of the obstacles were providing the challenge, so like when I came to you know, a 14 foot wall, Quite strange. I couldn't do a muscle up, which is essentially the movement of getting out of the wall. Um, so then, so it, it kind of played into that, but I remember running the course thinking, I mean, I feel amazing. Like last, I remember, because I remember the feeling from last year, like I was running out this one stretch and I was dying to my asshole, and then the next year I was fine past people, it was, it, was, it was incredible, yeah, and then, um, yeah, so, so naturally when CrossFit kind of progressed in, I started doing more and more of that, I did a few competitions there, a few team competitions, a few individual, nothing big, just um, like the UK circuit, yeah, that sort of yeah, thing, nothing, nothing, yeah, nothing massive, just a few, just a few comps here and there, which was good fun, I uh, really enjoyed it, and that's where I started coaching, um, but then I kind of, as I was going through CrossFit, because it was my introduction to anything gym-based, is that's when I started, like, um, Sort of peeking off into the various different aspects of CrossFit. So uh, you know, I've done like powerlifting, I've done strongman, um, and uh, then I kind of, kind of that's where I found my niche has been a bit of a strength coach, a bit of a strength specialist there. So that's how I kind of tailed away from CrossFit in a generic sense, but sort of stayed within the realms of it. If that makes sense. Awesome. So yeah. any future aspirations to get back into competitions, or are you kind of happy doing what you're doing now? Like, do you? So like I think I'm always going to compete in something. You've got to do something. Uh, I've, got yeah. to do, I've got to do something. Um, um, we briefly touched on this earlier, but I think my next uh, adventure is I think I'm going to get in the cage and start fighting people. <laughs> As you do. Because go back to yeah, that trove, those tribal roots. A natural progression, isn't it? The jiu-jitsu no. thing. So I mean, I'm really interested in I've got yeah. a few friends, like I said, that do it. And I kind of want to take the leap into something else, maybe. Um, I'm curious. I think yeah. there's there's other great stuff out there, and jujitsu seems to be something that's coming up a lot, yeah. and the benefits of it, and it's actually a bit of an art form from what I hear. Like the how it's, it's actually like yeah. I think Joe Rogan said it's like um, it's like problem solving with like consequences. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it's exactly that. 
It's exactly that. It's a high stress problem solving with consequences. I think that's what you said. Court, yeah, I referred to it as. That's, that's exactly it. Um, I kind of fell into that just because I've always had an interest in, in martial arts itself, but I never really went into it. So when I kind of came away from competing, I mean, my last competition was uh, a strongman competition last year, um, which I'm sure we'll come on to, but that ended very badly for me. Mm -hmm. um, so kind of coming out of that is. I felt this sort of again. I felt a bit lost, like where, where my, my my training was just all over the shop. I was just doing whatever for whatever reason because I had nothing to focus on. Yeah. And I, you know, I had a business to focus on and clients and things like that, and that, those are my priorities. So I didn't mind my tra my training taking a bit of a, a bit of a knock because it wasn't my wasn't my priority. But yeah, I think uh, I think competing moving forward. You might see me in a powerlifting competition. You might see me weightlifting. You might see me go to CrossFit. You might see me in a strongman. You might see me in a I think, and I think it does stem from that roots. Like for you, it's like for me, it was running. Like that was my thing, and like you do have that fire. Like that, comp there's nothing better than yeah, having yeah. that like three, two, one go moment, or like some ref blowing the whistle, or someone the touch gloves. Like, like there, yeah. it makes you feel alive, man. Like yeah, it's like good. the morning of a race, or like the morning of an event. Oh, and dude, you get yeah. the butterflies in your stomach while you're eating your breakfast, and then, you know, yeah, when when he's cycle and the commissary used to say, right, we're going thirty seconds, and it was just deathly silent you couldn't hear anything else no matter what was going on it was just silence until the gun went that's kind of like yeah i, I, I miss that, that. Like and the buzz after like, when you've done and like yeah, even yeah. if it's not like the result you maybe hope for like you still get that that sense of achievement like yeah, that's yeah. the beauty of uh of sport fitness absolutely um so let's touch a bit on uh, i mean you reached out to me on um on instagram and and said you know you wanted to come on the podcast and we also touched on some challenging, I say, life experiences that you've gone through. Um, I don't know too much about it, but I, I guess it's closely linked with some of the fitness stuff, and the, like the strongman event mm -hmm. um, you, you, you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Sort of take us through some of those tougher times, yeah. um, and we'll explore that if you're, if you're comfortable in doing so. Yeah, absolutely. So when I was 18, um, I had my first bout of uh, well, AF, atrial fibrillation. Right? It's, just a, it's just an arrhythmia disorder that people can get. Um, quite common, not exactly harmful, um, it's just a bit of a nuisance. Right? Um, when you go into atrial fibrillation, you don't, I personally don't feel any different. I can feel it there, I don't feel bad or ill or unwell or anything like that. Does the heart beat a bit differently? Is it the, the yeah. rhythm of the heart? Like, it's just, just a little bit out of tip? It's just, uh, there's no rhythm to it whatsoever. Okay. You know, you've got a normal heart, but there's no rhythm to it. Um, you know, it can subside itself, sometimes you need to go to the hospital. The majority of the time I've needed to go to the hospital to have it sorted out. Um, which can be, you know, it's not painful, it's just a nuisance, it's just, it is what it is. Um, but when I was kind of diagnosed with that, is, I felt this sort of sense of, well, you know, it buried me a little bit, like, it kind of, I almost let it sort of define what I was doing and where I was going. But I've had no issues sort of moving forward in a competitive sense. You know, I've had some of my best competition since, since being going with it. You know, I've, ne I've never let it sort of rule me, I've always been in control of it. So I've had a few like bouts of that where I need to go to the hospital and have it sorted and come out, you know. Um, but it kind of all culminated into a bit of a bad one when, yeah, last August, I think it was August, um, I was I did a strongman competition in Cardiff. I did three of the four events, um, and then just did a two-hour lunch break. You know, I was sat in my car and I just felt myself going to my arrhythmia. Mm -hmm. um, and I knew I know when I go to my arrhythmia, I need to go get it sorted. There, was, there, there wasn't um, anything I could do there. Feel the onset of it. You, it's not a sudden thing. You, can you feel it building kind of yeah, thing? Yeah, I can literally put my hand there and figure it out. Okay. Um, and you can feel it in your breath as well. It's a bit of a weird one. 
you know it's there, but it doesn't cause any grief. Anyway, so I saw so you know, two friends meet the competition. I was like, I'm very sorry, girls, but I said I need to get off the spell to the office. So that was obviously very understanding. Mm. Um, yeah, and on the drive in to hospital, um, I was at a box junction. I was turning right, and as I pulled off from the lights, I just felt this sort of really weird sort of like dropping feeling, and like almost like someone just like pulled my lungs out, I couldn't breathe. Um, I just stopped the car, put the handbrake on, put the hazards on, and just fell back into my seat. Uh, I went into cardiac arrest. Uh, it was pretty, pretty fucking scary because um, that 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 day was a defining day for me. There's so much that could have gone either way to whether I'm here or not. Now it's crazy. You know, my, you know, obviously the girls I was with they were very panicking, and one of them was Winsburg-ing to see if I had a defibrillator. Some people, all the traffic was kind of standstill. Some people were off in a aspirin and things like that. There was no one around. Um, my friend called the ambulance and they said, "Oh, we can't get one out to you." Were you conscious at this point? Or had yeah, you kind of gone under? Drifting. Were you drifting in and out? At this point I was drifting and I was still in the car at this point. Um, yeah, my friend had uh, called the ambulance, but they said they didn't have any available. Uh, and that was it. She was, she, was, she, was, she was basically preparing for the work. The lady on the phone and the operating centre was basically getting ready for me to die and what to do for, should that happen. Um, thankfully, because of all the commotion that was going on, because it was such a busy intersection, was um, a lady who lived where it happened, came out of the house and like, what's going on? And she pointed out that there was a fire station just down the road. And she ran to the fire station. And within three or four minutes, two fire trucks were there, police were there, all cordoned it off. I was out of the car at this point, bent against my car. Um, there's a photo of it on my Instagram as well, of me yeah, sat against my it, car. Yeah, I've seen it, yeah. Um, and the fire, the fire crew were brilliant, they brought me back around. Um, I, didn't need, I didn't have the need for a defibrillator, I had pure oxygen. That brought me back into a conscious state. Still in my arrhythmia, but I'd kind of gone through the worst of it at this point. Um, but it was like a defining moment. I remember sitting there against my car, thinking, "Holy shit, this is it." Did you really think there really, was a moment you're I like, "I genuinely this thought is over. I was going to die." Sat against my car in the middle of a busy street in Cardiff. Wow. And it was—you can't explain it in, in a way that because it, it's such a drastic moment that it's just so scary. Um, but that day was the best thing ever happened. The perception changes I had after that. Just your the way you take things in as opportunities and adventures, anything like that, it just completely changed. And the biggest thing for me was what led the perspective was you know I've got I've got three nieces from my sister, um, and there's my, my niece in the middle, the middle-aged one. I look a bit of a special connection with her because it's a long story short. Basically, there's there's, there's three kids and the one in the middle, the dad's not around. Um, and the other two get off to go see their dads at the weekends and do fun things that you do with normal separated parents, whereas Daisy, the one in the middle, she doesn't get that. So I've always kind of filled that void and always made her sort of feel that she's not left out. Mm -hmm. um, and when I was sat against my car, I couldn't think of anything else but her. She was the only thing I could think about. I did, nothing else mattered in that moment in time. Nothing mattered. But the only thing I could think of was I can't let her grow up without me. So just to have that kind of like... It was, it was like a big, strong willpower then. It was like, I can't... Bit of a moment, it yeah. It was a massive moment. I felt, like, I felt like I was in control of whether I lived or died then. I felt that if I was in any other mindset, I felt like I could have just let go and gone. But because I had that kind of drive of, you know, I couldn't let myself, for her sake, it just changed things massively. And I truly believe that, yeah, it definitely wasn't my time. There was, there was, there was something looking out for me that day. That wasn't my time to go. It was, Man, that's it was awesome that you... 
Yeah. Feel like you had a bit of a breakthrough there. Yeah. How was the recovery process? So obviously as precaution, I'm, I'm sure they took you to hospital. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I went and to hospital. The days after that, like how did that affect not only like I suppose the question is how did it affect you both physically, like your body after that that experience and mentally, like what, what sort of frame of mind were you in? the days, weeks, months after that incident, because it that sounds scary, like, yeah. I'd be terrified. It was life-changing, it definitely was life-changing. Um, from a physical capacity, uh, nothing, I was fine. You know, I, as, soon, as soon as I was kind of looked after at the hospital, they did a grand job with me. Um, I mean, I can even, it sounds, as daft as it sounds, like, six hours later, I felt I was fine. Yeah. I had to go and have procedures at the hospital, mm. obviously. Um, and when I was kind of given the old place to leave, yeah, I felt, physically, I felt fine. And from a mental standpoint, I just felt so clear. I've never felt clarity like it. Really? Wow. I, 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 I took from that experience so much in the sense of, you know, I had so many, like, toxic relationships with people, friends, and things like that, that I just didn't, I just didn't want to facilitate anymore. So those people, so these, these relationships, these endeavours, I just kind of cut all the fat out of it. I didn't need it anymore. So, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was definitely life-changing in that aspect because... You know, you know what it's like when you've got people who are kind of you're friendly, you're not really friendly, you're not necessarily count on them. Well, I didn't have time for it anymore, so I just got rid of it. Um, and I was very the biggest thing I took away from was gratitude as well, because you know, it, it really puts to perspective. It's like, oh shit, I'm actually really grateful to be here. I always wake up every day. Today's a great day to be alive. Yeah, mate, that's no a great way to look at it. Like yeah. that that defining moment, as mm -hmm. extreme as that was. You're right. It could have gone two ways, and to have that perception shift, mm -hmm. I think it's awesome because you you could. I mean, you could have let it affect you a few different ways. Really loud airplane right now. <laughs> um, I don't know, it's like a fighter jet. Um, oh, so red arrows. Yeah, there's about twelve of them. The red arrows. It's pretty cool. Just had the red arrows fly over. <laughs> like, I, 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 As we're we, talking, we're, about, we're talking about like <laughs> that's that, incredible. That's, I'll pay you guys later. Like uh, that, that cost. That was a big budget to get those flying over. Like great timing, guys. Thanks That's for that. <laughs> so it was meant to be. So you know, even as you're talking about in the future, like, amazing things are happening. Um, so, how did your relationship with fear change? Is fear something that's always been part of your life? Fear and anxiety before that incident and after. Was there a big mindset shift in how you treat stress and fear in your life because obviously living with a condition like that for most is a fearful thing to live with yeah. thinking will it happen again mm -hmm. you know how do you cope with with fear so that's an interesting one with fear I'll talk about sort of fear and anxiety separately fear um, for me beforehand I didn't fear when I went in when I felt the onset of anything like of my symptoms coming on I didn't fear anything like I said it was just a nuisance Moving on from that, there was more fear, you know, because, you know, I was basically left with the doctor saying, the chance of it happening again, the chance of it happening the first time, which is a big, who knows, right? So, every, especially, basically 10 days later, I was back in hospital, I'll, I'll, I'll start by saying that. I went back into my, my atrial fibrillation 10 days after that, um, I got a really bad infection, I got a tonsillitis, and I was sent back to hospital. I was worse then than I was when I was um, and this was 10 days later, and then my mindset was just, you know, you need a break. Yeah, Jesus that's Christ. two huge blows. Yeah, I was like, you know. Um, and, uh, yeah, and 
it's definitely been a key part moving on from that because since this has happened as well as I've had an operation which should have eradicated the underlying issue it hasn't I still have the condition and I need the operation again but that kind of uncertainty plays a massive part of me but from a fear standpoint I don't fear it I embrace the positive of it okay or I'm grateful I'm here today if later on today I go to my relation I, I don't care I've embraced today and I'm grateful to be here today wow. I don't live as I don't live like oh today might be the day I go I couldn't live like that. No. Um, you never, you never want to leave the house. No, of course, you? no, of course not. Um, so from a fear standpoint, yeah, I, I embrace the positives and take the negatives as they come. If it happens, it happens. It, it's meant to be. It's meant to be. So from an anxiety standpoint, funnily enough, before this event, were probably my probably had three months of my worst ever spells of anxiety in, in the lead up to this, um, and. Immediately after, probably the three months after, I didn't have a single anxiety attack. I didn't have a single thought process that was drawing me back to the way I felt before it. Uh, and I can't explain why. I, I can only imagine that the only change was gratitude. And your perception change of yeah. that life-changing incident. Yeah, because luck and gratitude play a massive part in it. Right? You know, people nowadays, obviously I'm going to bring Gemma again, but... I, don't, I think gratitude has got lost, with, with, with gem, generally with people, because everyone moans about my internet's gone down, you know, Instagram algorithm is fucking me over, um, you know, my angel lights come on my car. When you, and this is my personal opinion, this is my personal belief, when you wake up every day and you are grateful just to be alive, and you're, you are grateful to be here, your whole perception of luck and gratitude changes. Right? I'm lucky to be here today, I feel lucky that I'm able to do this. I'm lucky to be alive and breathing today. Everything on top of that is a complete bonus. So the way that it changes your mindset is everything becomes an opportunity. We're all presented the same hours in the day. We're all presented with um, the same sort of things that we're exposed to. Um, and when your kind of mindset on gratitude changes, everything becomes an opportunity. Right? Um, and then your idea on luck changes as well. The way I can sort of like communicate this across to people is you know what it's like when you're watching a TV program and there's an advert that comes on that really pulls on your heartstrings. It might be um, you know, some poverty in a third world country, it might be some neglected children or abused animals. Something will pull on your heartstrings and for a moment, for a moment you feel you have it really well. You feel like you're really lucky to have what you have. Right? And then Love Island comes back on and then you fucking forget the rest of it. Yeah? <laughs> that experience like that on a grander scale where you can where I couldn't just forget about it, right? I have to, yeah. have to live with it. Um, that's the only way I can sort of like communicate that, across. Into yeah, it. you get though. I think you're right. I think that for most people, they have momentarily, momentarily, they have those feelings of gratitude and yeah. empathy yeah. as well. I think towards other things, and, and then luck as well. and luck, yeah. And then you kind of get self-absorbed again. I think a bit. Yeah. And I've been guilty of it as well. I think yeah, we I all think are. We're all guilty of it. Um, yeah, I, people say like. I, you know, if I have, when I went for my operation uh, early this year, um, and it went about as wrong as possibly could have gone wrong without me dying, essentially. The, it was, you know, I was supposed to be um, under anaesthetic for the operation, and I was supposed to be asleep for it, I you know, ended up being awake for the whole thing. The, Did they try and put you under? Yeah. Did they get it wrong? Yeah, they got it wrong. Wow. I was awake. 
Um, were you in kind of locked in syndrome? Yeah, where, wow. I, where I could feel everything but couldn't move or do anything about wow. it. Wow, and you, do you remember that? 100%, I remember wow. feeling it. Even what we call cardioverted. Cardioverted, um, I've had eight times since eight, my like, first diagnosis at 18. The best way to describe that is like, you know, the bits yeah. where they restart your heart. Yeah. That's what cardioverted is basically. Um, and I had that whilst I was fully awake and conscious. But to them, you're under. But to them, I was under. Oh my god, man. And to the point where I even was lying down and I actually got some, like, <laughs> got something to say. I said, Can I have some more pain relief, please? And the doctor saw, like, looked at me and was like, Whoa, like, like this guy. Yeah. Um, is that because you have a bit of a tolerance to it or they had got the dosage wrong, which you don't know? No idea. All I know is that it was fucking uncomfortable. Yeah. And uh, I came out of the operation. The operation itself was, like, very much non invasive. It's only, like, a small scar on the inside of your leg, nothing open, nothing open chest, which is, again, I consider lucky, right? And, but what happened was before the operation, I was on four months worth of blood thinners for the operation, but I should have only been on them for a month. They gave me a month's worth and had my operation date, but then my operation was moved back. So I came to the end of that month of dosage for the blood thinners and I said, well, what do I do now? So do I stop taking them and then take them again before the operation? And I know, just, just have another prescription, keep taking them. Right? And then I took four months worth and you shouldn't, I shouldn't have been on them for four months. So when I came out of the operation, I had this wound that it wouldn't heal. No clotting, nothing. Because your pissing blood. Pissing blood the whole time. So I had to lie on a board for two days. What we call a fem stop. So I can imagine like a big, I don't know, sort of meaty pressing into your leg and then I had to strapped around me compressing into me for two days. Just to say good heal. Just so good heal. Wow. So to go through all of that and then to have the operation not work. Everyone around me was like, oh man, you're so unfortunate, so unlucky. I just didn't see it like that. I didn't see it like that at all. Obviously there was a part of me that was like, so I better. wish it had gone yeah, a bit. Yeah, I don't consider myself one lucky this life. It's like still here. Still here, man. I'm fine. That's, that's a really that's a cool <laughs> way of looking at it, man. I, I take my hat off to you. That's yeah. I think there could be a lot said from the way we see things and the perception and the way we see the world. And you've clearly harnessed that with big life events. You know, your health. Absolutely. You know. So, is there been a change in? Have you changed any lifestyle changes? Like, do you feel that exercise or competing or training has an effect on it? Does it worry you, like pushing the intensity? Do like what? Has your diet changed? What What do you do to look after yourself? Basically, I think it kind of came down to two main um, avenues. I think the physical side of things and the mental side of things. I think health and fitness and sport and exercise played a massive part in the physical side of things because. I was fit and strong and I had a strong enough heart to deal with all this shit that's going on. Um, from a mental standpoint, I think that kind of will drive determination, all these good characteristics of someone who's competitive, someone who's driven in a sporting environment, whether it's just for recreation or competitive. Um, I think that has also played a massive part in sort of dealing with these on a mental basis, right? You, you know, there's so many people that could have experienced what I've experienced and just let it absolutely override them, take it to the ground and hold them there. But I think having some of these good traits which have come from a sporting background massively helped me deal with this sort of thing. Um, it's tough and you, it's hard and you. Yeah, absolutely. In terms of looking after myself, um, number one, wake up grateful every day. <laughs> wake up grateful every day. Um, you know, I eat as well as performance allows me, so I don't, I don't eat for my condition, I eat for performance. Um, so does that involve certain Diets, like macros, like what's your thing? Like are you veggie, vegan, meat eater? Like what's your diet look like? Basically, if it's macros, is kind of what I follow. Yeah, if it's macros, yeah. Yeah. Um, do you track? Do you? 
Uh, I go through periods of tracking and yeah. periods of intuitive eating. So I do go through. It's kind of like it's just a refresher because I've been, you know, I've, I have tracked for years and I know roughly what's in and out of certain yeah. things. So, I, so I've got that kind of understanding base knowledge, which then allows you to come away from tracking and then just eat intuitively. Yeah. Um, and when my training change, when my training changes, that's when I kind of switch things up. I might need to track some more just to kind of get back on track with things. But then as soon as I'm done that again, I've got the idea, and then I can go off and do an intuitive style of eating as well. Um, yeah, so that's kind of how I cool. So, looking at sort of, you say about um, gratitude, do you implement, like a lot of a lot of leaders, sports people, they swear by morning routines. Do you implement a morning routine? If so, what does that look like? Yep. Uh, I think routines aren't for everyone. But for me personally, I think they work because I like being regimented. I like sort of being, yeah, I like set orders and things like that, the OCD in that respect. But again, I think that's just coming from who I've worked with in the past, who I've worked for in the past, just competitive background, all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, so my morning routines at the moment, um, I know a lot of, a lot of um, strength coaches, like Pollock, says this as well about um, to have a journal, wake up, write three things that you're grateful for, um, and then do the same thing at night. What I like about that is, and, and he's touched on this on, um, uh, I think on the London Real interview, he, uh, he says you'll subconsciously set yourself up for a good day if you write th three things you're grateful for, and then if, on the evening you write three things that you're grateful that happened in the day. If you know, if you know at the end of your day you've got to write three things that you're grateful for that day, you subconsciously make things better for yourself. You, you subconsciously sort of attract opportunity and things like that, so that you've got something to write about at the end of the day. Helps you more be more self-aware. I mean, something I do. Yeah. Do you do you write a journal yourself? Yeah. Do you log? Yeah. How do you log apps, or do you do it? Um, so it depends on like if I'm. It, it depends on where I'm. If I'm staying over somewhere, then I'll you know I'll write up notes on the phone. But yeah. generally, I do write it, write it on a, a journal. Three things I'm grateful for. A few tasks that I want to accomplish in that day. Uh, you know, I've got one at the beginning where I look at the week ahead as well. Think this is what I want to do to achieve my week. Um, see how see how I do that. I structure my week on basically, you know, on self-accountability. You look at Monday, you're like, okay, by Friday I want to have achieved X, Y, Z. Okay, so you write your things down on Monday, what you want to do. Um, by Wednesday you have a little check-in with yourself. Okay, where are you at Wednesday? Right, you look at you look at your goals for Monday and what you want to achieve. How are you getting on with those to achieve them? Yeah, like a midweek yeah, check-in. If you if you tick them off, Grant. If some aren't there, some of you haven't even started. Why haven't you started them? And how can you start them to make it? By the end of the week. At the end of the week, okay, you look at it again. Well, that's what I wanted to do. That's where I was in the middle of the week. Oh, I've now done this, this, and this. But I still need this to do, so that goes into the following week. Um, and that kind of routine. Yeah, helps, that's what I do. Kind of shift some some of the bigger tasks or stuff you really do want to go. They you can shift them into the yeah. following week, and it just helps you remain accountable and, and stay on on track with your goals. Yeah, I think self accountability there is, is massive. So, on the other side of the coin, so that's really positive. Um, so when you feel overwhelmed or unfocused, what do you do, or are there any tools or tricks you do to put in place to help you regain some stability? It's, this might sound really daft, but is I'll just go and do something where I can take myself away from whatever's, um, whatever is bothering me. Now, some, sometimes, obviously, as, as we know, I might not be able to pinpoint what it exactly it is that's bothering me. I might have a wave of anxiety that I can't exactly pinpoint what the cause is. And for me, one of the best things to do is I'll ring up a family member, or um, someone close by, someone around friends with, and just go out for lunch, just go and sit in a park. Just go, just go and do something where you can just be present with someone else. Yeah. Yeah. 
basketball. And a lot of the big thing for me at the moment is, uh, is actually my nan. Is I go around my nan's house and I just, I just sit and have a cup of tea. And I forget about it. And for, for, I don't know what the reason is. I just sit there and I just listen to her about her day and what she's got going on and what friends she's seeing that week and how the garden's going. And nothing else matters. Take the onus away from yourself. And, yeah. and especially if you can do it with family, that's yeah, a bonus. Absolutely. Because I know that I've made her day a bit nice if I go around and having a cup of tea yeah. or taking it for lunch, going to the garden centre with her, anything like that. Um, and then it kind of pulls you out of whatever was bothering you and it just lends a bit more perspective. Yeah, it takes that onus out of it. So what would you say, so in your sort of working week um, or life in general, what would you say generally tires you out and how could you be more kind to yourself? I think I could become my own worst enemy when I want certain things done. We talk about this on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. When I want certain things done by a certain time, if I don't hit that for whatever reason it might be, it might be a perfectly legitimate excuse. I can then be really hard on myself, and then unforgiving, and then that can sort of stem into a bit of a negative mindset. And rather than looking at it like, well, you know, you've got tomorrow's opportunity to do that, it's more like, oh, why did you do it today? Why wasn't it done? Um, so, yeah, kind of a bit of too self-critical, maybe. Massively self-critical, yeah. and I think because of like moving into business as well, it's being self-critical is good. It's both good and bad, and I think. Uh, you can always, yeah, you become your own worst enemy, okay, and then you try and keep in deal with it yourself, and everything becomes like a bit of like an internal stressor, and that's how it can affect other avenues as well. But uh, yeah, it's funny because when friends talk to me about any issues like that, because I was the first to give some some kind of constructive advice, some kind of actual plan for them to help themselves. Yet when you're in your, you're in that own environment yourself, you don't always necessarily listen to your own inner voice telling you what to do. Which is why taking you out of that, going and seeing someone else can can help with the things like that. Massively. Sounds like you're doing a lot. Yeah, it sounds like you're quite self-aware. You're doing a lot to take care of yourself, and you, you know, you've had your fair share of battles. And I mean, if you could give any advice, to, I mean, it's quite a big question, really, and, and more of a discussion. Mm-hmm. We won't go into it too deep, but you know, obviously, with what I do, Project Get a Grip, I really try and promote mental health awareness as well, and really sort of campaign for the male community. Seeing more and more suicides, people coming out struggling with mental health issues. What sort of advice would you give to someone that might be struggling? Um, obviously there's a bit of a difference between mental health and mental illness, mm-hmm. or someone who's in a bit of a rut, or a bit of a, needs a bit of a mindset change, or suffering from anxiety. What advice would you give to someone? Biggest piece of advice, especially if I go to the male community, it, this goes this goes across the board as well, um, and like one of my good friends and like a, a kind of a mentor of mine said this to me when I was sort of um, in the worst of my anxiety last year. Um, he, he, he's a former marine, he's a PTI, he's seen some like, horrific things. There's no medals for going up the alone. Mm. Like, if you try and go for yourself, like no one's coming at the end of it and applauding you. Like There's no need to, to, to go it alone. Tyson Fury says it more 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 recently. Yeah, he's really well. flying the flags. There's, you know, no one's, you can't, you don't get more any, any more self-gratification when you get out the end of it, if you do it yourself. But, you know, it's like the age of saying, you know, a problem shared is a problem part. Yeah. Now, it's very difficult, I could appreciate that, because for, A, for some people to admit that they've got something going on with their life, um, and B, to share it with someone, from my personal experiences, I, I don't feel it, I don't like feeling like a burden, right? And if I'm sharing my problems with someone else, I can sometimes feel that, I can feel like a burden. But if you've got good people around you, you've got good friends and good family, then you'll never, you should never fill up a burden. And, and they'll know that, but sometimes you can't help but feel that. Um, but 
yeah, there's, there's, there's no one flying a flag at the end of it saying, with a checkered flag saying, well oh, done mate, here's your medal for doing it for yourself. There's, there's, there's no need for that. So reaching out to someone, reaching out to friends, family. If, you, you know, if you're in a really bad position where you don't feel like you want to speak to your friends and family about it, you can pick your phone and ring the Good Samaritans. Just for there's help out there. Just yeah. Just for peace of mind. Even if it's just writing down your thoughts on a piece of paper, it takes it out of your mind and onto a piece of paper and it'll allow your mind to, to focus more clearly. You might be able to deal with it yourself if you do that. You write so you write some of your issues down on a piece of paper and once getting you to where you are at, the, at that uh, moment in time, you write them down on a piece of paper and all of a sudden that'll free your mind up because they're not in your mind anymore, they're down on paper. Simple things like uh, yeah, just just putting get getting things out of your mind onto a piece of paper, have a coffee with a friend speak to a family member, you know, call up helplines, there's, there's help out there. Um, and I think in this day and age, people, especially men, just don't seem to want to do, have the help. There's this macho bravado yeah. of, well, I should have done this because I'm a man. Yeah. And I need to, you know, and I think there needs to be a shift Does for it? people to realise that, you know what, we're all humans, we all have emotions, we all have feelings, we all got, we're all by the same roller coaster. So. There's a bit of a crisis, I think, in the male community, and it's something I'm really focused on. Being a male myself, and some of the work I've done in the construction industry, it's a male-dominated industry, and there's a lot of guys. I think they do want to talk, but they haven't got the skills or the confidence or yeah. feel they've got the support there to do so. Yeah. And I think they internalise a lot. Yeah. And likewise, we have such high suicide rates in men. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I hope that not just men but everyone, I think it just goes back to having a good balance in life, enjoying it, feeling grateful and reconnecting. Absolutely. Um, I think there's some great great words of advice you've got in there, man. I think I would hope that would help some people that may perhaps be struggling. If one person's listening yeah, to that's it, it man. That's why I, that's why I do this, you know. Yeah, just just that one person that gets that that little knowledge bomb or that bit of confidence then yeah, yeah it's good and, and I appreciate you sitting down with us and, and doing that. So I thought, so maybe to finish up, I thought we'd finish with a couple of like rapid fire questions, or um, maybe not so rapid fire, but a couple of other questions, maybe a bit off the cuff. Um, and I've totally hijacked this particular one, and maybe a few others from some of the other podcasts I listen to, but they're such good questions. Um, one of them being, so what purchase of around a hundred pounds has most positive? Positively impact your life in the last six months or so. Good question. Good question. So you can waver from the price, but what has really been a positive impact in your life on a particular purchase? Uh, audible, buying books. Okay. Having an audible subscription and buying books, because yeah, I mean, I've never been. I've it's a bit I was 22 years old, actually read my first fiction. First fiction book was Narconomics. Same. <laughs> Not that was, book, but in yeah. terms of reading, I was like a late comer yeah. of reading. I was. Oh, you know, I used it. to read journals and articles and things like that. But actually, reading just a book and Narconomics has nothing to do with anything in my life. You know, I love Breaking Bad and Narcos and shit like that. So this is like the economics of our drug cartel. And I, re- I read it on holiday and I felt I felt great. And then as soon as I, as soon as I read that, I bought another book. You get a bit of confidence reading books. It's kind of a bit yeah, of a. Just, so yeah, yeah, like we were talking about the books that we were reading earlier. And, yeah. uh, I think. Yeah, so like an Audible subscription, or just go into a watchstone and find books. So that's, that's probably been the biggest change that I've made in the sacrifice. What books right now have you read recently or feeling, or what's on the highlight reel okay. in terms of books and audiobooks and perhaps podcasts? Bit of a big question, but yeah. if you can summarise what you're feeling right now for okay. people pick that are listening. Four books that are kind of 
helps with the way I think. The first one is chip paradox. Yeah. Uh, we were talking about this earlier, but the subtle art of not giving a fuck, that was definitely um, another I opened one on a bit yeah, of a I read that on holiday. Interesting book. one. Um, I read, it's called Win or Learn, and it's by Conor McGregor's coach, John Kavanagh. Um, and it's exactly about that, you know. Like write these down as well, man. Yeah. So it's called Win or Learn. Win or Learn. Cool. Um, again, this kind of stuff, that's kind of, you know, my interest in martial arts has kind of fell to that, towards that book as well. Okay. Um, and it talks about, like, you know, Connor's journey through MMA as well as his journey through MMA and how it's kind of it's really eye-opening as to just how things have gone for them um, and then the latest one which has really changed the way I look at things in terms of the business sense as well it's called The Entrepreneur Revolution okay um, what's funny is I actually pre-ordered that book forgot about it and then it arrived and it was on my desk and I was like oh <laughs> forgot about that that's and then, cool and then uh, yeah but immediately absorbed into that really good what's your are you sort of into your podcast as well? Is it more just the books at the moment? Anyone you like who's on your sort of hit list to go to? Like a pod- yeah, I listen, I listen Other than me, obviously. Of course, the project <laughs> over it. Um, yeah, so funnily enough, my podcasts here are not necessarily based around um, people chatting, but at the moment I'm into a lot of UK true crime. <laughs> so I listen to on, Spo- on, on Spotify, yeah. it's called They Walk Among Us, and it just, it just goes into the details of various different crimes that have happened That's in the cool. past. And, yeah, that's, 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 I just find it interesting. It's really cool. Yeah, I listened to. Um, did you listen to Serial? There's one called Serial. I've heard of it. No, and I've, it was I've like heard of it. that was that was unreal. Yeah, you, yeah definitely one for you to take away. Um, other podcasts other than that, I like listening to things like uh, some some relatable ones like um, some of the Joe Rogan podcasts when he's talking to some fighters or juggernaut training systems and they've got some of their guests on. Westside Barbell podcast, you know, I yeah. really like that one, that's a cool one. Um, so there's some more like related ones and then some of the related ones as well. Cool. So outside of like work, gym, training, like is there anything else you do for fun? Like what's what's a release? Is it like movies or like whatever man, like make like even riding your bike, what what's cooking your like cooking food, yeah, I like cooking food. food. Cool. Yeah, I love cooking food. It's a good hobby. Uh, I love food. <laughs> I know, it's great, isn't it? One of my hobbies is eating, one of my other hobbies is cooking, so it's happy days, isn't it? Yeah, nice. I don't know, I like, uh, yeah, I'm, a, I'm quite into my cooking, I like that, I do. and I have, I have been, kind of, I've always been into that. Um, no particular reason why or why I got, how I got into it, I just kind of fell into it and I really enjoyed it, so, yeah, I like getting creative with that sort of stuff and making nice food, and who doesn't like making and eating nice food? Nothing. <laughs> food and sleeping. Food and sleeping, man, that's exactly it. Um, so, round up, so I'll just do one or two other questions, so another one that I'm quite interested to ask you is, who would you like to go for a beer with who's alive right now anyone who? anyone in the world anyone in the world anyone in the world so not dead or alive and we're going to go for a live mm-hmm. who would you go for a beer for and they, yeah, there'd be a free invitation uh ben francis he's the owner of jibshark yeah, yeah. he's uh, an interesting guy i've seen some of his vlog i i would want to go he's for a, a beer hustler with him, that kid because i can relate to him in terms of like an age from the area we came from um, and I just love the story. He's a Birmingham lad, isn't he? Yeah, from he's a, mate. He have you seen his video on YouTube? Yeah, how yeah. he's built gym shots. Unreal. I, 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 it's, it's, it's insane. I love. I'd love to have a beer with him and just see how he went through his journey as, a, as an entrepreneur and, and running his business and how he scaled it so so well and so yeah, fast. He's created an amazing brand. Yeah. yeah. All right. So let's wrap it up with. Um, so if you could have a gigantic billboard, say on the M5, yeah. um, with anything on it, 
metaphorically speaking, getting a message out to millions on their commute in the week or months, what would that billboard say and why? I would want something to open people's eyes to a bit of gratitude, like I said, like we were discussing earlier, I think everyone's a bit lost in it, I think everyone could do with a bit of, uh, a bit of self-gratitude and sort of feeling grateful, so anything along the lines of just something to capture people's eyes, yeah. make them feel grateful for what they've got in the day. Awesome. So last one, um, what impact do you, or say perhaps your Crusader strength, want to have on the world? I've got big aspirations with it, man. I've got some big aspirations with it, and I, I think I've carefully been detailing the ways to kind of progress and go to that kind of level. Um, I want to be, uh, I want it to be a global business that reaches a lot of people and changes a lot of people's lives. Not necessarily just a physical training capacity, but celebrate being humans that's it alright so I'll probably do it for the questions I've grilled you enough I think um, so what I do at the end of the podcast I always try and get something for listeners or future listeners to take away and I've got a Spotify playlist where I ask the guests for a fire up tune and then a chill out tune so what gets you fire up might be training or like get you psyched up uh, for anything really and then what's like you go to chill out so what would you say is your fire up tune Ooh, at the moment, I'd probably say my fire-up tune, you, you might already have it, would be uh, Cradle to the Grave, Five Figure Death Punch. Okay. That's always, that's always a good get. get Alright, so I'll have to check that out. Yeah. Uh, i writing this down. And chill for out. your chill-out? I'll probably go with something from Post Malone's new album. Yeah. Mate, I love that stay tune. Probably go with uh, what would you go for? I'll go with better. All right, cool. Yeah, yeah, that'd yeah. probably be a nice chill out song. It's not too intense. Yeah, it's, it's nice, sick. It's I like that. Nice little black going on. Um, I reckon. Uh, actually, uh, before we wrap it up, um, so how can we find out a bit more about you, Crusader Strength? Like anything you want to get out there now, like your opportunity to give something a bit of a plug, like give us your socials, like tell us how we can find out a bit more about you and what you're doing with Crusader. Easiest place to find me would be Instagram, that's where I'm most sort of prominent, that's where I've got most of my time in terms of socials. Uh, it's just crusader.strength. Um, my website's crusaderstrength.com, you can find a lot about me there. Easy easy to reach out for me from the website or through Instagram. Um, I, I am on Twitter, I think it's crusader underscore coach, but I'm not massive, massively engaging on Twitter. Um, you can find me on Facebook as well, Crusader Strength. There is a page on there. Um, and uh, yeah, just look forward for the, the Radical Strength Alliance that's coming. That sounds really that's exciting. Uh, I'll yeah, keep an eye out for that. That's, uh, that's, the next, that's the next thing that's coming. Sick. All right. Uh, I reckon wrap up there, man. Okay, guys. So that's a wrap. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode as much as I did. Really blown away at Jake's positive outlook on life, showing appreciation and gratitude for the here and now, despite some clearly challenging health issues that he has to now contend with. So thanks for that, Jake. Make sure you all subscribe to the YouTube channel, um, check out all the socials, uh, SoundCloud, Instagram, Facebook, etc. And I will catch you all on the next episode.